You all can turn to Matthew chapter 22. This week we're going to to do something a little different as we talk about this new year and getting ready for it. Next week we'll start our sermon series for the spring. We'll be studying the book of Ecclesiastes. So I've been looking really forward to this. It should be fun. There will be some moments that are kind of depressing, but then we'll pick it back up. So you'll enjoy it. We'll we'll have a great time. So uh, my wife and I spent some time this week having fun comparing to-do lists because it's a new year. So everybody's writing your to-do list. You're writing out your priorities. What are you going to try to do differently in, in 2016 to have a better year? So we were comparing how men and women make to-do lists. So I, I've noticed, now this is not like a hard and fast rule, but in general, women, you ladies seem to put a little more time in yours. You seem to invest a little more artistry and creativity making these beautiful planners and and to-do lists. There's whole sections of Pinterest dedicated to making beautiful to-do lists. I don't know how this lady's going to even cross anything off. She's made like a work of art. Here's a lady who is transferring her items from one to-do list to a prettier to-do list. And I wonder, does she get to cross something off when she does that? Like, did she have an item, make this prettier? And she gets to say done and cross that off. Women seem to have really nice to-do lists. We men, not so much. We're lucky if we can read our to-do list an hour after we wrote it. I don't know who this guy is, but putting things like castrate, bores, cut, hay, bale, hay, way more manly than me, whoever this guy is, but you can barely read his list. This is my kind of list here. This is what I do, and I'm not kidding you. Like I'm not above this. I start most of my to-do list with a couple items that I've already finished. So that I get to cross them off so that if Julie finds me napping, I can point to my list and say, look at all the stuff I already got done. You know, over the last six years, I've been a parent of young children. So actually, most days, my to-do list just looks like this. I keep it real simple and and just try to make it through another day. So, so far today is going okay, but we'll see. We don't know how this is going to pan out. So to-do lists, we we all create to-do lists because we're trying to handle the chaos of life. That's, that's why we all make them, because we grew up to be adults and we realize that life is complicated, it's complex, it's crazy, and so we create to-do lists to try to manage that chaos and bring some order to life. Adults do that, kids don't. Little children don't need to-do lists. They don't need to be reminded to wake up, eat food somebody else made, play, eat again, play again, eat again, poop, bathe, and go to sleep. You don't need a list for that. But then you grow up to be an adult and life gets incredibly complex, just gets out of control, complicated. That's a reality that I, I can't simplify for you. The longer you live, the more complex you see that life is. I really wish that I could wake up in the morning And next to my bed, there would be a simple list of instructions for my day written by God, and I would know exactly what to do, and when I go to bed at night, I'd know if I was a success. That is actually why, for those of you who know, I I like working on cars. That's what I do in my free time, because life is complicated, working on cars is not. I I set up my garage, I buy my parts, got my tools. I go to the internet, and I print my instructions for what I need to do, and there's pictures, and there's YouTube videos that show me exactly where to put things, and then the best part of all, after I'm done, I turn the key and know if I did it right. What else in life works that way? Nothing. Marriage, I've been married over 12 years, and I still don't know what I'm doing. 
It is still like a mystery to me. Did I do well in my marriage today? I'm not sure. And career. Every time you think you've figured out your career, the circumstances change. You've got to figure it out all over again. And don't ever get me started with parenting. I've never felt as inadequate as I do as a parent. There is no YouTube video that you can go watch when your daughter won't ever talk to you again because you made her wear long sleeves to school today in the winter. What am I supposed to do with that? I don't, I don't ever go to bed at night as a parent confident that I did the right things today for my kids. I hope I did, but I don't know. It's so complicated. Life is so complex. And I, I can't change that reality for you. But what I can do and what I want to do this morning is to give you a tool to help bring some sense of order and simplicity to the chaos of life. So this morning, I'm going to introduce you to four priorities. It's just a list, a list of four words that will help you to find some order, some, some priorities, some clarity in the midst of the chaos of modern life. And this list of four priorities, this is actually something that all of us on staff at Grace have been working on. We've been developing this list. You'll be introduced to it this morning, and then you'll see it everywhere in the coming months, in every ministry, in the foyer, in the, went- on the website, everywhere. These four simple words, these four simple priorities that will help us to to assess whether we're walking with Jesus, whether we're making progress as followers of Jesus. It'll help us identify what are the next steps we need to take to be more like Jesus. Okay, so let me introduce you to this simple tool, this list of four simple priorities. As followers of Christ, we all, we each need to be connecting, growing, serving, multiplying. That's what God has called you to do. That's the the Christian life in its simplest terms, kind of distilled down to four priorities that all of us are living out. We need to connect with God and others. We need to grow in character, knowledge, and skill. We need to serve inside these walls and outside these walls. And we need to multiply by telling and by training. I'm going to walk you through each of those in detail. All I want you to remember is these four words, four verbs that shape your priorities for life as a follower of Christ. Connect, grow, serve, multiply. And there is a sequence here. Each step builds on the previous step. So you can't serve God until you've connected with God. But there's no point in your life when you outgrow any of the words on the screen. So so you will always need to continue to develop your connection, your relationship to God and to other people. You will always need to be growing in character, knowledge, and skill. We're never done with that. So the goal of life is to get to a place where you are doing all four of these priorities every week. This is just a normal part of your life. So that's what this list is meant to do, to help you get a handle and bring some clarity to the chaos of life. So let's jump in. Let's start with the first one. Connect with God and others. This first priority comes from what is arguably the most important passage in the Bible, Matthew 22. It's called the greatest commandment or the great commandment. Let's pick it up in verse 36. So Matthew 22, verse 36. 
These are our Pharisees, religious leaders, speaking to Jesus. Teacher, they call Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, that is Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Okay, so the, the single most important command in, in all of Christianity is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor. And what that tells us is that Christianity at its essence is not a religion, it's a relationship. Or, or more accurately, relationships. That, that's what this is. A, a religion is, is a series of rituals that you perform to try to make you feel better about yourself. That, that's not what this is. Is. Christianity is relationships. It's connecting with, with God, our creator, and with one another. That's the essence of what we're doing here today. And Jesus says that those relationships, they begin with God. God comes first. First and foremost command is to connect with God, to love God. That's where Christianity begins, when we enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So John, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, says, Yet to all who received him, that is Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you believe in Jesus, and you get to become a child of God. You, you become part of the family of God. You're not joining a religion, you're joining a family. That's the basic idea of Christianity. Galatians 3, you are all sons or children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You become part of God's eternal family. That's the good news we call the gospel. The gospel says that, that all of us have a problem. We do bad things, and those bad things separate us from the perfect God who created us. So God stepped down from heaven to solve this problem. God the Son became human. Jesus took on flesh and he lived among us and he lived a perfect life and then he died for our sins and he rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven and become part of the family of God. And and all we need to do to have forgiveness and to become part of God's family is just believe. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to come to church for it. You just believe and it's yours. You just say, yes, God, I want that. I want to be forgiven and be part of your family forever. I believe your son died for me and rose from the dead so I could be part of your family. Now, if there's something that's keeping you from believing that good news, some intellectual objection or or something going on in your life, or maybe it just sounds too good to be true that you don't have to work for God's love, I, I really want to talk to you. Please come talk to me or email me if you feel more comfortable doing that or write me a letter if that's your thing. Whatever you want, please come talk to me. I'd love to tell you why I believe. I'd love to hear your objections and just talk with you about Jesus. I won't judge you. won't make you feel uncomfortable. Let's just talk about Jesus for a little bit because that's where Christianity begins. Now, for those of us who've entered the family of God through faith in Jesus, we still have so much room to grow in our relationship with God, right? Because Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. I'm not there yet. I I assume you're probably not there yet either. I love God, but not fully, not yet. I'm still growing. There's still so much room in me to grow to love God more, to know God better, to be better connected 
with him. And so on my priority list for this year and every year, item number one is to grow closer to God, to connect with God more and more deeply. And that's going to primarily happen by spending time in his word, by listening to his voice, by praying to him, by spending time with him. So that's our number one priority. Spend time connecting more and more deeply with God. That's where it all begins. But that's not where it ends. We, we don't just have a relationship with God because Jesus moves on to a second relationship, right? Not just relate to God, but relate to others, to your neighbor. Neighbor is just a way in the Bible of talking about everyone who you could possibly know. So, so everyone you could know who's in any way near to you. You're to love them as you love yourself. You're to connect with them. I had a conversation with a friend of mine this week, such a great conversation, and he's thinking about Christianity. He's not ready yet to say that that he wants to believe in Jesus. He's not sure yet, but we had this great conversation, and he asked me, why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to be part of this? Isn't it enough for me just to have my own relationship with God, just doing my own thing? Really great question. Ultimately, the answer is what we just read. The passage we read, Matthew 22. Reason that we do this is because God designed love for him to grow hand in hand with love for other people. You can't have one without the other. That's, that's how God designed love. They grow together. They grow hand in hand. They will atrophy without the other. If you only tr- pursue one, you can't have either of them. What that means is that there really is no Lone Ranger Christianity. If it's you and God versus the world, you're just trying to have a relationship with God, your love for God will ultimately grow cold. You cannot have deep and abiding love for God if you choose not to love the people of God, the family of God, your brothers and sisters. Love for God and love for others grows together. You can't have one without the other. And so we pursue relationships with each other. We're trying to connect with with other people, especially other believers. If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you've got to hang out with his kids. You've got to be part of this family. And so if you look at your life and you realize that you've been trying to do Christianity on your own, you've been trying to do Lone Ranger Christianity, you're not connected with other believers, then that needs to be a priority for you in 2016. You need to connect with others here at Grace Bible Church. And, and I don't just mean Sunday morning. I'm, I'm glad you're here. It makes me feel good that I'm looking at a non-empty room. That's great. But this is a big room and there's a lot of people here. It's very easy to stay alone and anonymous in a room like this. So when we talk about connecting with others, we're talking about genuine relationships. You need to have people in your life who know the real you, not the work you, not the professional you, not the you you put on in the morning, but the real you. They know where you struggle. They know what you're working through. So you can encourage them and they can encourage you. You need to have those genuine relationships in your life. And the way you get those is by becoming part of a smaller group of people. And so here at Grace Bible Church, our goal is to get every single one of you connected in what we call a grace group. Grace group, just a comprehensive word to refer to every possible group here at Grace Bible Church. There's a lot of them. 
We have a lot of options. If you go to our website and click connect, you will see all of these options come up on the screen. We've got home groups that meet in people's homes, obviously. We've got Sunday morning groups that meet on Sunday morning. We've got Bible studies that meet on Wednesday. We've got men's first call that meets early on Tuesday morning. We've got celebrate recovery. We've got grief share. We've got college small groups. We've got so many different options for you. We just want you to choose one. Just have one place where you are connecting with God's people in genuine relationships so they can encourage you and you can encourage them. If you're not connected yet and you want to know what to do, well, you can go to the website and click connect. Lots of options there. Or we'll make it really easy for you. There's cards in front of all of you right now in in the back of the chair in front of you. And it says connect with us. If you will write your name and a way to contact you, either phone or email, and then just in big capital letters, write connect. And then put it in one of the boxes at the back of the room. We'll call you or email you, whichever you prefer this week, and help you get connected to a group here at Grace Bible Church. So if you're not connected to God and to one another, that's your first priority this coming year. That's where it begins. Okay, now let's move on to the, to the next step in our growth. So we connect with God and with others. That's the first item on our priority list. Second item on our priority list, we grow in character and knowledge and in skill. Now, if you've been here for a while, you know I, I tell a lot of stories about my kids, and often they're funny or embarrassing. I'm kind of hoping my kids aren't going to hold that against me when they get older. This morning, I get to tell you a really great story, though. A story I'm excited about. It's a story about their success. Um, this fall, they're in kindergarten, so they've been learning how to do a lot of stuff, including how to read. And so teachers have been sending them home with books that get progressively harder. And I've been watching week after week as they pick up new words and, and they get to where they can actually read like a phrase and then a whole sentence and then a whole paragraph. And they're just getting to understand it better and better. And then, incredible night over Christmas break. I sit down to read bedtime stories with my kids every night on the couch. So we sit, and I got a kid on each side, pull out a book, and I read. So it's nighttime, and I'm grabbing my book, and I'm sitting down. Um, but they each already have a book in their hands. Each have their own book, and, and they're reading them. And my daughter looks at me and says, no, Daddy, not tonight. We're reading to ourselves. I wanted to do a dance, and I'm not a dancing kind of guy. Like, that was amazing to me. That was better than the first time I ate steak. That was better than when the Aggies upset Nebraska when I was a student here at AM. That was an unbelievable moment. My kids can read. Are you kidding me? Why did that excite me? Well, because that's what humans are designed to do. That's how God built us, that we would grow, that we would expand in our character and our knowledge, our skills. And as a parent, when you get to see that happen in front of you in your kids, it is like the most exciting thing you've ever seen. That's how God designed us. We're his kids. He designed us to grow, to continually be growing in character and knowledge and in skills. Here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. This is what God has designed for you. It says, God gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up, the growing of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man 
to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That's that's what God designed you to do, to grow in all respects, in in character. You're to become more like Jesus in what you do. Your behavior is to become more and more like his. In knowledge, you're to think more and more like Jesus. You come to understand truth like he did, so you think like him. We're to grow in skills so that we can serve Jesus more and more, better and better throughout our lives. God designed you to grow up and character, and knowledge, and skill. And that growth will primarily happen through his word. This is our textbook to life. This is how we grow. We spend time in the word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now that's not just for pastors. That's not just for me. That's for all of us in this room. God has called you to get to the point where you can accurately handle this book. You know how to read it, how to interpret it, how to apply it to your life, how to teach it to your kids. You need to become a diligent student of this book. Now, how do you do that? Well, primarily, again, it's through joining a grace group. That's part of the design of our grace groups is whatever group you join, you're going to spend time in this book. And you're going to study it, you're going to talk about it with other people, you're going to learn how to apply it to your life, because this is how we grow. So join a grace group. Again, just put connect on that card and drop it in the box at the back of the room. Now, if you're already in a grace group and you want to go further, you want to learn even more about God, you want to grow even further in skill and character, then I encourage you, please come talk to me or one of the other pastors here. That's actually part of the the description of our job is that we're resourcing you so you can grow. So if you say, hey, I've been part of a Bible study, but I really would like to know more about this, maybe more about God's character, more about the Christian life, more about how to share my faith, more about missions, whatever it is, come talk to us. We'll connect you with resources to help you to grow. There is no limit to how much you can grow in your character, knowledge, and skill as a follower of Christ. Okay, so As we look at our lives, as we talk about our priorities in life, number one, we're connecting with God and with others. Number two, we're growing in character and knowledge and in skill. Number three, okay, those first two kind of lay a foundation for number three, serve. We're serving inside these walls, meaning in the church, and outside these walls, in our homes, at school, at work, in the community. Serve. People are always doing surveys, and I heard some time ago, there, there were some people who did surveys about Christians in America and how we responded to certain words. Like if you said a word to a Christian, did they feel good about it or bad about it? And so one of the words that they surveyed was the word serve. So they asked Christians, men and women, boys and girls, everybody, how do you feel? How does that make you feel? And what they found is that in general, Christian women had no problem with the word serve. They're fine with it. It worked for them. It could be a positive thing. But Christian men, many Christian men had a negative response to the word 
serve. And so they tried to get deeper into that. Why is that that you don't like that word? Why is it that you have a, a negative response? And for many men, not all, but for many Christian men, the reason is it felt weak. It felt unmanly to serve because maybe they were really successful in the community. They owned their own business or they were a professional or a professor. They had a lot of respect. They had a lot of wealth. They were successful in the eyes of the world. And so the thought of serving felt beneath them. I'll be honest, when I heard about that survey, it made me pretty angry. I did not have a good response myself to that survey. Because here's the deal. We believe in a God who is infinite. He's all-powerful. He created all things. He has all wealth. Everything in the universe belongs to him. He has all power and all wisdom, and yet he chose to become a poor human being to serve all of us. Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so if, if Jesus, the infinite, almighty, eternal Son of God, chose to serve, then how could I ever feel like service is beneath me? If service is beneath me, then I'm above God, because God is a God who serves. That's what he does. That's why he came to earth. And so here at Grace, we're never going to stop using the word serve. We don't care if it makes people feel uncomfortable. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, honestly, that's your problem. Not, not the problem with the word serve. Because it's a biblical word. It is what God is. He serves. Service is a beautiful word. That's what Jesus came to do. And so it is our honor to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and serve one another. That's what we're all called to do. So you you may recall the story in John 13, Jesus girded himself with a cloth and washed his disciples' feet, which was a humiliating job. It was the lowest of the low kind of job, like worse than cleaning toilets, worse, horrible, ugly, dirty job that Jesus did. So he serves his disciples by washing their feet, and then he says, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. That's what you're called to do, to participate in service. Even when it's humiliating, even when it is beneath you, that's what God did. So we do the same. We get down on our knees, we serve other people, both in the church and outside the church. In the church, God has called us to serve one another by using the abilities and the skills, what the Bible calls our spiritual gifts. So God has given you unique experiences and abilities and opportunities to serve other believers here in the church. And so God has called you to do that, but obviously you need to know what your skills and abilities are. And so if you don't yet know what your spiritual gifts are, we have a class that we run all throughout the year. It's called Discover Your Ministry. And if you'd like to know how God has gifted you to serve his people, just sign up for Discover Your Ministry. If you already have a sense of, hey, this is what I'm good at, or this is what I love doing, I'd like to serve, then go to our website and just click the big button that says serve. And it'll list all kinds of options for service here at Grace Bible Church. So we're called to serve one another. All of us should be doing that, serving here in the church. But we're also called to serve outside the walls of this church. First and foremost, that's at home. So if you are a parent, then your primary service is to your kids and to your spouse. You're serving in the home. You're taking care of those people that God has put in your life. 
Okay, so serve them. Look for opportunities to serve wherever you can. But as Guff mentioned earlier this morning, it's not just about serving in the home. We get to spend a lot of time there. That's great. But it's also serving wherever God has placed us. So for you students, are you serving other students at Texas A&M? Those of you who work, are you serving the people you work with? If you say no, and I don't know what that looks like, Grace 360. Come to our Grace 360 conference in a couple weeks, please. We're going to talk about faith at work. What does it look like to serve Jesus at school or at work? We'll get real detailed and help you to do that. Okay, so we serve at home, we serve at work or at school, but we also serve the community and especially those in need in our community. You may recall this verse, famous verse in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. Pure, undefiled religion, Christianity in its purest form is when we step out of our comfort zone and sacrifice to care for the needs of of the most vulnerable in our community. We should all be doing that in some form or fashion. I'm not telling you a particular group to serve with, but there needs to be some place in your life where you are stepping out to serve those who are in need. And if you look at your life and say, I don't have anything like that in my life, then just go to our website, click serve and under serve, little menu is going to come up. There's a link that says partner organizations. Click that. What we've done is we've looked at all the charitable groups here in the Brazos Valley, and we've chosen a large number of them that keep Christ at the center that you can serve with. And you're serving people who are in desperate need, the most vulnerable in our community. So please check that out. Serve partner organizations. As followers of Christ, we all need to be stepping outside of these walls to serve at home, at work, and in the community. Okay, so connect grow, serve. That leads us to our fourth and final priority as followers of Christ. Multiply. Jesus's goal for the church is that it would grow. Don't know if you knew that, but the plan is that this will grow. Maybe not Grace Bible Church as a particular, but the church worldwide. God's plan is that it's going to grow until there is church deeply embedded in every nation and in every people group. How do we know that? Well, because Jesus promised. He said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. I I will build it. It is going to grow. The church is going to win. Okay, so Jesus is going to build his church. The question is how? How is he going to build it? And the answer is you. He's going to build his church through you. Not because he needs you. He could do it by snapping his fingers and he's done. But he's chosen to use us to grow his church through multiplication. We, we multiply followers of Jesus here on earth. That's how his church grows. So if you're still in Matthew, turn to the end of the book. Very, very end of the book. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Let's look at the second most important passage in the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 18. It's often called the Great Commission. It's kind of like your job description in life. So Jesus, your king, your boss... 
He gave you a job description. This is what he wants you to do so long as you're on this planet. He laid it out starting in verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there's a whole lot that we could say about that passage. I'll just focus on a little of it. Disciple, that's a a fancy word for follower. To make disciples, all that means is that you are raising up people who follow Jesus. How? By doing those four things. All, All you're trying to do is get other people to join you in connecting, growing, serving, and multiplying. You're just trying to reproduce yourself in the lives of other people. Now, how do you do that? How do you multiply followers of Jesus? Well, I've given you two words. Word number one, tell. By telling people about Jesus. Telling, that's, I'm just trying to find a less intimidating word than evangelism or share the gospel. So I think we all know that we should share the gospel. We should tell people about Jesus. We should do evangelism. But the idea of sharing the gospel can be really intimidating to a lot of us. I've, I've talked with uh, men and women who are incredibly successful, like own businesses or professionals or, or scholars They're at the top of their field. Everyone else is intimidated by them until it's time for them to share their faith. And then like their blood pressure spikes and they start sweating because it's just overwhelming. The thought I'm going to tell somebody the gospel, that's crazy. So I'm just trying to make it as simple as I can. This doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be intimidating. All you're doing is telling your story. That's all God has called you to do. Just tell your story of meeting Jesus. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. That's, that's all it is. I think a lot of people, when they hear that I share my faith, okay, here I'm, I'm a pastor. I've, I've been a pastor for 12 years. I got a master's of theology at seminary. They assume that when I'm going to sit down with somebody and share the gospel, that I'm going to explain Trinitarianism and quote Isaiah and refute atheism. No, no. No, because that's not useful. No one's asking those kind of questions. When I sit down to share my faith, what I do is talk about me and Jesus. That's pretty much it. I talk about why I've become convinced that Jesus really lived. I talk about what he's done in my life. I've talked about what it feels like to have freedom, to know that you're forgiven and that you don't have guilt and shame anymore. I talk about my struggles and how Jesus has led me through doubt and depression and all those kind of things. I talk about what Jesus has done in my life. And then I talk about you. I talk about this church that I'm part of and how you all love me and love one another. That's what I talk about. It's the same stuff that you could talk about because that's what people want. At the end of the day, they do not want to yet, maybe eventually, but at the beginning, they don't want to know the theology of Trinitarianism. They want to know that there's a God who cares about them. So that's what you're doing. You're just talking about you and Jesus, about who God is and what he's done in your life. You tell your story. Later, you can get to all that crazy stuff. So keep it simple. It doesn't need to be intimidating. Just be willing to tell people about you and about who Jesus is and about what he's done in your life. That's how people come to know Jesus. So they, they believe in Jesus. That's the first part of raising up followers of Jesus. But, but the word disciple, it goes beyond just telling your story. Because once they come to hear your story, and if they choose to believe your story and, and come into the family of God through faith in Jesus, then you move on to the second step. You train them. 
You train them to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus. And, and what does that look like? Well, that sounds really intimidating. Train people to follow Jesus. Don't I have to go to seminary for that? No. Training, here's the simplest way I can explain training. If you want to train somebody to be a follower of Jesus, all you need to do is invite them to join you. That's all it is. So you go to a small group, a grace group, just invite them along. So that they can come and with you connect with God's family. And, and with you grow in God's word. Are you going to go serve at the Brazos food pantry? Invite them with you so that they can learn how to serve God. Are you going to pray? Invite them to join you praying. Now I think we, we talk about inviting people into our lives so that they can learn from us and we feel like we have to be perfect before that can happen. No, you don't. It's actually better if you're not perfect because they're not perfect. So if they thought you were perfect, this would not go well. What they need to see is your life warts and all. They need to see what it looks like to follow Jesus through the ups and downs, through the successes and failures of life. They'll actually probably learn more from you when you blow it than when you do great. So you invite people to join you in life. Hey, just come with me to my home church. Just come with me and let's together serve the community. Hey, come with me. I'm going to talk to a friend of mine who doesn't yet know Jesus. Just invite them to come along with you. And as you follow Jesus, then they'll learn to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, you've multiplied. Now you've added someone else to the church. And Jesus is doing what he promised. I will build my church. So life, it's incredibly complicated, it's incredibly complex, but it can be simplified. We can bring order to it and clarity to it if we will keep these four words in front of us. 2016 has begun. You're looking at a whole year in front of you. How do you live this year better than the last year? You think about these four words. You think about your life as a follower of Jesus. Am I connecting with God and with his people? Am I growing in character and knowledge and in skill to follow Jesus? Am I serving inside the church and outside the church? Am I multiplying by telling people about Jesus and and inviting them in to follow me so they can grow as a follower of Christ? If you look at that and you think, well, I'm doing pretty well there, not so well there. I want to know where's the hole? Of those four verbs, where's the one that stands out to you and you say, man, I'm not doing that at all? Whichever one that is, we here at Grace, the the pastors, the staff, the directors at Grace, we want to help you to address that hole so that 2016 can be better than 2015. That's why we're here, to resource you. We would love to talk to you or email or whatever's most convenient for you. Just come talk to one of us. You can talk to someone in the foyer. You can talk to me. You can drop us an email. You can write us a letter. You can call us on the phone. Whatever we can do, we'll do it to help you to take whatever your next step is to develop as a follower of Christ. Okay, so look at this list. I'm going to close us in prayer and just give you a moment to think about this list. What I want you to do, here's really my challenge for you this morning, is you look at those four verbs. I want you to pray that God would convict you, that he would speak to your heart and help you to see what is his next step for you this year. It's going to be unique to you. What is that next step he's calling you to take? so that you can follow Jesus more closely in 2016 than you did in 2015. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who brings order and meaning to our life. 
We thank you that you have not left us in darkness. You have not left us alone, but you have spoken to us through your son and through your word. You brought order and meaning to our lives. We thank you that you've invited us to be part of your family. We thank you that you have worked in our lives to help us to grow. We thank you that you've invited us to serve and that you've called us to multiply. Lord, these are all blessings from you. But I I pray, Father, as we look at and think about these words, I pray that we would be willing to listen to your conviction. I pray, Father, that you would speak through your spirit to each individual person here. Help each of us as we look at that list to be able to see what is the particular priority that you want each of us to work on this coming year. We pray, Father, that you would give us the courage and the perseverance to take that next step. We pray, God, that you would do whatever it takes in our lives to make us more like Jesus, to to help us to become better followers of him. We know that that's what this life is about. It's about following Jesus, your son. So please do whatever it takes to grow us as followers of Christ. I pray, Father, for each person here as they see whatever that weakness is, that, that priority that they need to work on, will you please help them to be bold enough and courageous enough to talk with one of us here at Grace Bible Church so that we can help them, that we can resource them and show them the way to take that next step. We pray, Lord God, that you would grow our church for the glory of your Son. We pray that when people look at Grace Bible Church, that they would see Jesus and be drawn to Jesus, and that the result would be that your kingdom would grow. Thank you that you've called us to know you and serve you. You are such a good God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week for Ecclesiastes.